The Something Patriots podcast is presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. If you've put off any medical care due to COVID-19, please don't delay it any longer. RWJ Barnabas Health has taken every precaution and continues to provide health care services in adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. This includes stringent cleaning and disinfection throughout all facilities and screening everyone for symptoms and temperature upon entry. Learn more at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. Welcome to the Something Patriots podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, a podcast where we talk a little something about the Somerset Patriots. Game over, series over, 27 up and 27 down for Teasley. The Patriots are your 2015 Atlantic League champions. Patriots win another Atlantic League title. Warning track ball, gone, home run for Corey Aldridge, his third blast of the game. It's a walk-off grand slam. It is gone, ball game over, series over, and Patriots are the 2008 Atlantic League champions. On 1450 WCTC, WCTCAM.com, and where podcasts are available. A pleasant hello and welcome to another episode of the Something Patriots podcast, where we talk a little something about not only the Somerset Patriots, but now also the upstart New Jersey Blasters and the rest of the Atlantic League. Tonight's episode is airing live on our new time slot of Thursday nights at 6 p.m. on The Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC and WCTCAM.com. As always, today's episode and the full archives of each of the first 12 episodes of the podcast are available on podcast streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SomersetPatriots.com as well. Uh, So if you want, you could go back and check in on all of the progress that we've made uh, since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic when we really started this podcast all the way back. Uh, I guess the podcast began in early May. On today's episode, we recap another exciting week of the Somerset Professional Baseball Series, including another weekend split between the Patriots and the Blasters. We'll also preview week three with the storylines that we are following and give our first official power rankings for both the Sparky Lyle Award for the league's top pitcher and the Willie Randolph Award for the circuit's top player now that we are about a third of the way into the series. Plus, later in the show, I'll be joined by New Jersey native, former Seton Hall Pirates standout and current Somerset Patriots right-handed pitcher Billy Lane Jr. to discuss his Somerset professional baseball series success to this point and his overall story on how he got to Somerset. Uh, But before all of that, we do have some breaking Atlantic League news to discuss, so let's jump straight into it. What's going on, fans? We're back! So long teased, but now official, the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball announced on Tuesday the league's expansion to the city of Gastonia, North Carolina, as the newest community in the country's top level of independent baseball. The team, spearheaded by an ownership group led by Velocity Company's CEO Brandon Bellamy, will play in the newly announced Fuse Project, which will feature a 5,000-seat multi-use ballpark and are set to begin in the Atlantic League to begin play in time for the 2021 season. In a press release, league president Rick White said, quote, we are delighted to bring Atlantic League baseball to Gastonia, a city that has shown tremendous ingenuity and resolve, particularly in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Under Mr. Bellamy's ownership, this club and the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball will provide the community with best-in-class baseball and exceptional entertainment for years to come. So this is significant uh, for a number of reasons. One, the Atlantic League has long discussed expansion, uh, and it has been known for quite some time that Gastonia was likely to be the next destination. But for this to be announced and made official in the midst of a global pandemic and at a time uh, where Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball are really struggling uh, is nonetheless significant. Uh, There will be a lot of new changes in the Atlantic League uh, next year with the likely coming retraction of minor league baseball. So, too, um, there have been reports that somewhere up to 42 currently affiliated organizations, many of which are certainly within the geographical footprint of the Atlantic League, 
So it stands to reason that there's a good chance that Gastonia is not the only new team to join the Atlantic League next year. Now, what other teams that lose their affiliation status and that would be willing to try their hand at independent ball and to run a completely autonomous organization? I'm not quite sure of that right now, uh, but the opportunities will be there for both the Atlantic League and for some of these teams, and I'm sure Rick White has already had a number uh, of those conversations. And, and number three on this story, uh, according to a report in Baseball America, the majority owner of the new Gastonia franchise, so Brandon Bellamy, is now the only black majority owner in all of professional baseball in the United States. Now, this is extremely significant. Uh, there have been other black owners in the past, uh, but as Baseball America points out, Bellamy is the lone black active owner and the first since Tom Lewis owned the Savannah Cardinals in 1986 and 1987. Uh, so hopefully Bellamy becomes the first in a new wave of baseball ownership uh, that helps the game become more racially integrated, not just on the field, uh, but through all levels of organizational front offices as well. All right, so now let's get into the Somerset Professional Baseball Series and what happened this past weekend at TD Bank Ballpark. It was week two in the SPBS between the Somerset Patriots and the New Jersey Blasters, and it started in a pretty similar fashion to the way that week one started. So on Friday night, it was once again David Kubiak taking the mound for the Somerset Patriots against Vin Mazzaro for the Blasters, and Kubiak struggled out of the gate just like he did uh, on the Friday night of week one. He was able to escape a jam in the first inning and the second inning, but he got touched up for four runs in the top of the third, which marked the second straight Friday night that the New Jersey Blasters put a four spot on the board in the third inning. In this Friday's game, so in week two's Friday night game, uh, it was the top of the order that got a lot of damage done initially. Uh, Louis Martini, who was batting leadoff for the Blasters, began the inning with a double. He then came around to score on a Martin Figueroa RBI double. A couple of batters later, Tommy McCarthy added an RBI single. Uh, a couple of batters after that, Derek Romberg reached with a base hit, and that chased Kubiak from the ballgame after just two and two-thirds innings. So in each of his first two starts, David Kubiak, who was our leader in the clubhouse going into this series for the Sparky Lyle Award for the league's best pitcher, uh, has failed to get out of the third inning. Kubiak exited after two and two-thirds. Max Herman, a southpaw, came in in relief. And the first batter that Herman faced was Luis Roman. He allowed a walk. And then the next batter, Zach Lipschitz, came up to the plate and got a two-out two-run single uh, to add two more runs to Kubiak's line and to finish the night uh, for Kubiak, who wound up allowing four runs all earned on six hits over two and two-thirds innings. So the Blasters were leading four to nothing at that point, and they had Vin Mazzaro, who was having an extremely impressive start. Uh, the former big leaguer tossed four scoreless innings, allowed just one hit. He allowed just one walk, and he struck out six batters. So a very impressive start for Mazzaro. And that Four-run top of the third was all the Blasters needed. They added another run in the top of the fifth inning. They got a two-out RBI single from Liam MacArthur. Uh, but after Mazzaro was done after his four innings of work, Ryan Williamson, who earned a win in the first game of this series on the first Friday night, July 17th, Williamson came on and worked two innings of relief. Now, he did give up a two-run home run to Joey Rose, the second batter that he faced. So it looked like it might be a difficult start for Williamson to begin his evening. But after that Joey Rose two-run home run, Williamson wound up striking out the next six batters that he faced. Uh, he wound up working two innings of relief. So six strikeouts over two innings of relief, and Williamson ultimately got the win in that ballgame. Michael Lepresti came on for the bottom of the seventh inning in his first save opportunity. He did hit the first batter that he faced, Sid Kumar, and he allowed a two-out hit, a two-out base hit to Joe Quinones, but ultimately Lepresti was able to get out of the inning and preserve a 5-2 win for the Blasters, who after Friday night's game were now leading the series two games to one. And if you remember from week one, the New Jersey Blasters had an opportunity to sweep the weekend. They carried a 2-1 late lead into the bottom of the eighth inning and extra innings against the Patriots, but it was Carlos Garcia's two-run single that gave the Patriots a come-from-behind win. So we were wondering if the Blasters would be able to finish off the weekend sweep this time around on Saturday night's game, and they did jump out to an early lead, but this one was very similar to the first Saturday night game of this series where pitching 
was the name of the game. It was Mark Leiter Jr. on the mound for the Patriots, Brandon Liebrandt on the bump for the New Jersey Blasters, and both teams were held without a run over the first couple of innings. Both pitchers were pitching well. The Blasters did break through first in the top of the third inning. Uh, New Jersey has had a lot of success in the third inning throughout the course of this series. Uh, It was a two-out RBI single from Martin Figueroa, an infield single that deflected off the glove of new Patriots second baseman Hamley Volquez. That brought the first run home of the ballgame. That was the only run that Mark Leiter Jr. would allow over five innings of work. So Leiter Jr. was the first pitcher to go five innings in this series Saturday night. But when he exited the ball game, he didn't have the lead. The Patriots did tie up the game in the bottom of the third inning uh, against Brandon Liebrandt, a two-out RBI single from Adam Tricarico, his first run batted in and his first hit of the series, uh, knotted up the ball game at one. But both starting pitchers exited, both received no decisions, and it wasn't until the bottom of the sixth inning that the Patriots grabbed what really is their first lead of the entire series Uh, It came on a two-out RBI single from Jordan Jackson, a bouncer up the middle that scored Joey Rose. A two-out rally, really. Rose began that rally with a two-out base hit. He stole second. Sid Kumar then had a long turn at bat, drew a walk, and Jordan Jackson came through with a ground ball base hit up the middle to give the Patriots a 2-1 lead. Prior to that 2-1 lead for Somerset, the only other time they had held a lead in the series was when they got the Carlos Garcia walk-off two-run single in the first Saturday night uh, of the SPBS. So this was the first time that the Patriots were actually pitching with the lead after that Jordan Jackson RBI single in the bottom of the sixth inning. They brought on James Puglis to work in the top of the seventh, and Puglis had a very easy 1-2-3 inning uh, to record his first save of the series. Struck out the side, in fact, in order, and the Patriots were able to hold on for a 2-1 win. Interestingly enough, the Patriots have scored exactly two runs in each of the first four games of this series, Uh, but Saturday night's game, similar to the first Saturday night, again, dominated by pitching, uh, two runs on four hits for the Patriots, one run on three hits for the Blasters, and both the Friday night games and the Saturday night games have aligned pretty similarly over the first two weekends. The first Friday night game back on July 17th. It was the Blasters who struck first, and they wound up scoring four runs at the top of the third inning, won that game 7-2. to uh, This past Friday night, so July 24th, the Blasters struck first, scored four runs in the top of the third, and they won the game 5-2. to And then the first Saturday night, I know I'm bouncing her back and forth, the first Saturday night on July 18th, uh, it was a low-scoring pitcher's duel, and eventually the Patriots won with a two-run single in the bottom of the eighth inning. This past Saturday night, so July 25th, another pitcher's duel between Brandon Liebrandt and Mark Leiter Jr., uh, and the Patriots put two runs on the board and win the game 2-1 to one by the same final score. So there's been a lot of similarities between Week 1 and Week 2, and after two weeks of play, the teams are tied at two games apiece in what is right now a 12-game series. Uh, there are some rumors that maybe the Somerset Patriots front office is going to add a 13th game uh, so that the number of games are uneven, so we have a clear winner uh, and a clear team that would have a better record. But if you look at the standings right now on aggregate, on run score, the New Jersey Blasters uh, would still be in first place after two weekends, uh, which is certainly very exciting. When we come back after this break, we will preview the upcoming week three of the Somerset Professional Baseball Series. I've got power rankings for the Sparky Lyle Award and the Willie Randolph Award, and then eventually down the road we'll have our interview with Billy Lane Jr. You no longer have to choose between an amazing network and an amazing price. When you switch to T-Mobile, you get both. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com to find out more. The Something Patriots podcast is presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. If you've put off any medical care due to COVID-19, please don't delay it any longer. RWJ Barnabas Health has taken every precaution and continues to provide health care services in adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. This includes stringent cleaning and disinfection throughout all facilities and screening everyone for symptoms and temperature upon entry. Learn more at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by Flemington Car and Truck Country. After the latest executive order, Flemington Car and Truck Country is open to sell cars in their showrooms by appointment. 
Choose from over 16 manufacturer brands, plus over 500 available certified pre-owned vehicles with unprecedented discounted pricing and available financing for qualified buyers as low as 0%. Flemington Car and Truck Country, with 8 locations on routes 202 and 31, is following all CDC guidelines in their showrooms and on delivery to protect and assure both customers and associates. Start your search and make your appointment at Flemington.com. And welcome back to the Something Patriots podcast. My name is Mark Schwartz. All right, let's go over the storylines heading into week three of the Somerset Professional Baseball Series. We'll start off with storylines for the Somerset Patriots. And I think the first one that comes to mind for me is how is this offense, how are these position players going to produce moving forward? The Patriots have now scored two runs in each of their first four games of this series, each time not really putting a lot up even in the hit department. Going back to the first game, two runs on four hits for the Patriots. Game two, two runs on six hits. Game three, two runs on three hits. And then game four, two runs on four hits. So this is a lineup that has not fully produced uh, over the course of this series to this point. Yes, they've won two games, uh, but who is going to step up from this lineup moving forward that is going to add a little bit more to the overall run production of the team? Uh, My second storyline that sort of goes hand in hand with that is will Dan Valerio and Carlos Garcia be back this weekend? Um, And if so, are they going to contribute at the same clip that they did the first weekend? It became pretty apparent pretty quickly that Dan Valerio was going to be an important part of this Somerset Patriots roster. He was the cleanup hitter in each of the first two games, and he had himself a very strong opening weekend. Uh, He went three for five from the plate. He also drew a couple of walks. He had three hits, uh, two runs batted in, two stolen bases as well. Arguably the top offensive producer uh, in the SPBS over that first weekend. So will Valerio be back for the second weekend? And if so, is he going to be plugged right back into the middle of this lineup and produce? Uh, Same thing for Carlos Garcia, who hit either second or third in each of his first two games uh, and had the game winner in the second game of the series, that uh, eighth inning walk-off winner against the New Jersey Blasters. Uh, So both of those guys would be able to come back and really deepen this Patriots lineup a little bit. I mean, the, the lineup over the last couple of games, specifically at the bottom portion of the lineup, uh, weren't really producing that well. Uh, Hamley Volquez has struggled. Joe Quinones has struggled. Sid Kumar has struggled as well. So uh, the Patriots are certainly looking for more production at the bottom part of their lineup. But in the middle part of their lineup, another storyline will be Joey Rose, who broke out this past weekend, former fifth-round draft pick by the Arizona Diamondbacks out of Tom's River North High School. On Friday night, he broke out. He hit the first home run of the Somerset Professional Baseball Series, a two-run shot off of Ryan Williamson. He went two for three in that game uh, with a couple of runs batted in. And then on Saturday night, Rose continued to be productive. Uh, He was the catalyst for a two-out rally in the bottom of the sixth inning that led to the Patriots' uh, game-winning run. He had the two-out base hit. He stole a base and then eventually came around to score the winning run on the Jordan Jackson RBI single. So can Rose continue to produce in the middle of this Patriots lineup? If he's able to do that and continues to add some power, and then you have Adam Tricarico, who had a big RBI single on Saturday, and then if you maybe plug in Carlos Garcia and Dan Valerio, uh, we're going to start to see some more production from this Patriots lineup, uh, but still a lot of question marks for that. Uh, In regards to pitching for the Somerset Patriots, I think a question that's on everyone's mind is when are we going to see the David Kubiak that we saw in 2019. Uh, Really, the David Kubiak that we've seen over the last three years in Somerset, a dominant starting pitcher for the Patriots, but he has just simply struggled to this point. In the first game that Kubiak pitched, he went just two and a third innings, allowed five runs all earned on four hits. This past Friday, he went two and two-thirds innings, allowing four runs all earned on six hits. So two back-to-back uncharacteristic performances from David Kubiak. So will we see a bounce back performance this Friday night? He's going to stay the Friday night starting pitcher for the Somerset Patriots, uh, but expectations were sky high for Kubiak going into the series. And the first two starts have not been exactly what he was hoping for. But if he can bounce back, then that would go a long way. The Patriots are already getting strong starting pitching from Mark Leiter Jr. on Saturdays. 
If they could get equally strong pitching from David Kubiak on Fridays, they're going to be a tough team for the Blasters to beat. And then the final storyline that I have, um, sort of on that note, can Mark Leiter Jr. continue his success? He has been very strong for the Patriots as the Saturday starter. In fact, this past Saturday, he became the first pitcher in this series to toss five innings, allowing just one run on three hits, three walks, and six strikeouts. So he's become very strong on Saturdays. Can that continue? He's been the strongest starting pitcher on the Patriots to this point, and with Kubiak's struggles, Somerset will certainly need Leiter Jr. to continue to perform well. Uh, So those are some of the storylines I'm looking at for the Patriots. In regards to the Blasters, the first thing that pops out to me, huge weekend. This last weekend for Martin Figueroa, Uh, we mentioned it on last week's pod. He was able to reach base the first week at a couple of times with walks, but didn't really break out the way that we anticipated. Uh, That breakout came this past weekend. Overall, went five for six on the weekend with a walk. So he had seven plate appearances. He reached base safely in six of those seven plate appearances. Also scored a run. He had two runs batted in and two doubles as well. So it was a massive weekend for Figueroa. Uh, Will that continue this upcoming weekend? He is a very important piece of the heart of that Blasters order. So if Figueroa can continue to perform well, uh, then watch out because the Blasters might have some more dangerous weapons in their lineup uh, than the Patriots might in theirs, at least as it stands right now. And on that note, can Zach Rakusen bounce back after a tough weekend? We talked a lot last week, including interviewing Rakusen on the pod uh, about how strong his start was. So can friend of the pod, Zach Rakusen, bounce back after an 0-7 for performance uh, over the last two games this past weekend? Last note on the position players. Who's going to be at the top of the order? Mentioned it on last week's episode. Maybe Louis Martini would make sense at the top of the Blasters lineup. And it was as if John Hunton, who is also a friend of the pod, uh, listened to last week's episode because Martini batted leadoff on Friday night. And it certainly paid dividends for the Blasters. Uh, he had a hit in each of his first two at-bats. He started off the third inning rally that led to four runs for New Jersey. Ultimately, he went two for five on Friday night with a run scored and a double. Uh, he did draw two walks on Saturday as well, went 0 for 1, but was on base two times. So he is certainly an option at the top of this Blasters order. But on Saturday night, it was Liam MacArthur who hit leadoff and went 0 for 3. That being said, MacArthur, the previous night, went 2 for 4 with a run batted in. So it seems like right now the battle for the leadoff spot on the Blasters is between Louis Martini and Liam MacArthur. In regards to pitching storylines for the Blasters, Ryan Williamson, I've talked about him a bunch on the pod, but his performances thus far have really stood out. Now, four innings of work for Williamson. He did give up the two-run home run to Joey Rose, but 11 strikeouts for Williamson overall across four innings. That is of 12 possible outs that Williamson can record. 11 of them have been by strikeout. He has not walked a batter. He has only allowed one hit, which was the Rose two-run home run. So what is Williamson's role moving forward? Does he remain just a middle relief guy, or is his role increased at all because of how productive he's been to this point? The second Blasters pitching storyline, who's the closer of the team? Vin Aiello had an opportunity for a save uh, on the first Saturday of the series, was not able to get the job done against the Patriots in extra innings. Michael Lopresti came on for a save opportunity on Friday night and was very strong. He was able to record the first save overall of the series. So is Lopresti the team's closer moving forward, or is it going to still alternate between the two? Or does Williamson get an opportunity for some saves uh, later in ball games as well? We'll certainly have to follow that. And then, will the Blasters get a starting pitcher to go five innings this weekend? It's certainly possible. New Jersey's already shown that they've got a strong bullpen, uh, but their starting pitching has been very strong as well. Vin Mazzaro allowed just one hit, one walk, and struck out six batters over four scoreless innings last Friday night. So he might get an opportunity to be stretched out into five innings uh, this coming Friday, which could potentially bridge a gap where you have, say, Mazzaro and Williamson as the only two pitchers that go for the Blasters on Friday night. That's a really strong one-two, a combination that in last Friday night's game uh, had 12 strikeouts between the two of them. Uh, So certainly a strong combination if the Blasters decide to go that way. Uh, And then for Brandon Liebrandt, he tossed four innings of work in his last start on Saturday night as well, striking out five. So uh, don't sleep on Brandon Liebrandt as an option to potentially go five innings as the team's starting pitcher as well, uh, which similar to what we just mentioned for Friday night would bridge the gap to a strong Blasters bullpen uh, quite nicely. 
So that, that's what I'm looking at for this weekend. But before we step aside, I do want to give my first power rankings for both the Sparky Lyle Award for the league's top pitcher and the Willie Randolph Award for the league's top position player. Uh, these are just based off of my own observations and some stats to this point. Uh, and we're only a third of the way through this season, so there's still a lot of movement that can take place. I'll probably do these every other week, though. I, I might add them next week again. We'll, we'll see. But starting off with the Sparky Lyle Award, I don't think it's going to come as a surprise. Well, I'll start with number six, and then I'll work my way down. I had I did the top six for each uh, for each award to this point right now for power rankings. So at number six for the Sparky Lyle Award, I've got Billy Lane Jr., who's our guest coming up on the next segment for the Something Patriots podcast. Lane Jr. has worked two scoreless relief appearances over three and a third innings. He's allowed just one hit, two walks, and six strikeouts. So he comes in at number six. Number five for me, James Puglis of the Somerset Patriots. He recorded a save on Saturday night, the first save for the Patriots in this series. He's tossed three innings of relief. He's allowed just one unearned run, which was an inherited runner that scored in the first Saturday game of this series when there was uh, the extra inning rule that came into place. So aside from that, Puglis has been nearly spotless. He has also struck out six batters and allowed just one walk. He has not allowed a hit over his three innings of work. So he comes in at number five. Number four for me is Brandon Liebrandt, uh, the Saturday night starting pitcher for the Blasters. He has not factored into a decision just yet, but a 1.29 ERA over his first two starts. Seven innings of work. He has struck out eight batters. He comes in at four. Number three for me is Vin Mazzaro, another starting pitcher for the Blasters. Uh, no decisions in his first two appearances, but a 2.57 ERA over seven innings of work. He's bumped up a little higher than Lee Brand for me. He's got nine strikeouts and uh, arguably one of the top starting pitching performances we've seen to this point um, that came last Friday. Six strikeouts over four scoreless innings. So Mazzaro gets bumped up one spot to number three. Uh, Mark Leiter Jr. comes in at number two for me, the Saturday starting pitcher for the Somerset Patriots. Nine innings of work. That's the most of any pitcher in the series to this point. He's got 10 strikeouts over those nine innings. He's only allowed one run. Uh, it was earned, but it was certainly a close play this last Saturday night. But he has walked five batters. So walks have been a bit of an issue for Leiter Jr., but still a 1.0 ERA over nine innings to lead the circuit in innings pitch. Ten strikeouts, second most of any pitcher so far. So he comes in at number two. And then number one for me is the only pitcher to win multiple games so far in the series. It's Ryan Williamson. Yes, he has a 4.50 ERA, uh, but it's a little deceiving because that ERA really comes on just one pitch. The two-run home run he led up to Joey Rose. Aside from that, mentioned it earlier, he's allowed just one hit, no walks over four innings of work, and 11 strikeouts out of 12 possible outs recorded. So right now, in terms of the power rankings for the top pitcher in the circuit, I've got Ryan Williamson at my number one. Uh, in terms of power rankings for position players, uh, again, these can change. And number six, even though he didn't play this past weekend, I've got Dan Valerio. I wanted to make sure that he was a part of this because he was such an important part of that Patriots lineup the first weekend, hitting fourth both nights. He went three for five that weekend. Three hits, a couple of walks, two runs batted in, two stolen bases as well. Uh, if he played this past weekend, he would likely be higher on these power rankings. Even with one week off, I still have Valerio in my top six. Number five, a bit of a surprise. I've got Derek Romberg right now, the Ramapo College graduate. Uh, he's hitting 333, which is one of the top batting averages over the first four games of this series. He did not start on opening night, but he did get a pinch hit appearance and grounded a base hit through the right side of the infield on the first pitch that he saw. So he's hit safely in three of the four games. He's got a couple of runs scored, uh, a couple of walks as well. So I've got Romberg at number five. Number four is Scott Kelly for me. Huge start to the series. Week one, reached space in five of his seven plate appearances. A 300 batting average, a couple of runs scored. He's got three hits. He's also drawn three walks and stolen two bases. As Kelly goes, likely will the Patriots line up as well. He's a very important part hitting leadoff for Somerset. So I've got him right now at number four. Number three, leapfrogging Kelly on the Patriots roster because of that big home run on Friday night and starting off the big rally on Saturday night. I've got Joey Rose. He's hitting 300. He's got three hits and 10 at-bats, two runs scored, but he's the only player in the series so far to hit a home run. He's got two runs batted in, two walks. He's also stolen a base. I've got Rose one spot ahead of Scott Kelly. At number two, still the league leader in runs batted in, it's Louis Martini. He's got three RBI, uh, a 308 batting average, four hits, 
Uh, a double, a triple. He's drawn two walks as well. So Martini remains the league leader in runs batted in, and right now he stays at number two in my power rankings. And then number one was not number one after the first weekend, but he was the number one overall draft pick for the New Jersey Blasters. It's Martin Figueroa. Based just off that huge weekend he had uh, last Friday and Saturday, he leapfrogs everyone up to the top spot. A 417 batting average right now. He's got five hits. That leads the circuit. Three runs scored, a couple of doubles, two runs batted in, two walks, a stolen base as well. Again, it's just mentioned he reached base in six of the seven plate appearances he got this past weekend. So Martin Figueroa atop the Willie Randolph Award power rankings to this point. In fact, both top spots for the power rankings for the Willie Randolph Award and the Sparky Lyle Award belong to Blasters. Ryan Williamson for the Sparky Lyle Award, and so far, Martin Figueroa for the Willie Randolph Award. But again, a lot can change. These are my rankings through just the first third of the Somerset Professional Baseball Series. Whatever this season brings, you'll be there for the Patriots, and TD Bank will be there for you. Bank 24-7, online, or on the TD app. Or... Talk to a human by phone anytime. TD Bank, unexpectedly human. Visit tdbank.com. TD Bank, America's most convenient bank. Member FDIC, TD Bank, N.A. The Something Patriots podcast is also presented by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey is making it easier to see a doctor from home and cutting your costs so you can get the care you need. Here for you now. And always, learn more at horizonblue.com slash always. The Something Patriots podcast is presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. If you've put off any medical care due to COVID-19, please don't delay it any longer. RWJ Barnabas Health has taken every precaution and continues to provide health care services in adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. This includes stringent cleaning and disinfection, throughout all facilities and screening everyone for symptoms and temperature upon entry. Learn more at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. And welcome back to the Something Patriots podcast. My name is Mark Schwartz, and today I have the pleasure of being joined alongside one of the newest members of the Somerset Patriots, one of the star relief pitchers over the first two weeks of the Somerset Professional Baseball Series. It's a New Jersey native, right-handed relief pitcher, Billy Lane Jr. How you doing, Billy? What's going on, Mark? It's great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. No problem at all. I was uh, I was just excited to reach out and start up a conversation. It's been, uh, you know, we were just talking a little bit before we started recording about how nice it is to finally just be back and, and, you know, playing baseball and watching baseball. So, so what's, what are these first two weeks been like for you? It's definitely been a lot of fun just being able to play baseball again, you know, something that everyone has been wanting to do or watch for, I don't know, past like six months since the uh, coronavirus started hitting. Um, you know, just, just having baseball locally, having friends and family be able to watch me specifically play again. Um, have been able to do that since like little league or high school. It's definitely <laughs> really, really cool to be in front of everybody and, and just in general, like I know like when guys are done playing, you know, sometimes the coaches tell us that, you know, we don't have to like come the next day if we're not playing, just kinda of limit the amount of people in the dugout. Um, but I personally, I just love the game. I love watching it. I love being a part of it. You know, I'll keep my distance and stuff, but I just, I'll still show up <laughs> to the next games. I just want to be there. I just, you know, I just love watching the game. And I'm just a baseball fan. You know, I play the game, but I'm also a fan of the game. So nice. Yeah. So I'm curious what the beginning of this process was like for you. So we had a number of workouts. I'm, I'm not sure which ones you originally came out to, but can you walk me through? Um, sort of how you got in touch with John Hunton, who was putting together these workouts, and, and what the first couple of weeks or the first month of this entire process was like for you? So I, when I, I got released from the Texas Rangers after um, that massive wave of uh, minor leaguers that got released, and I had a coach send me a link on Twitter that the Somerset Patriots were hosting tryouts, and I was looking for a place to play throughout the entire country, entire country whether it was affiliate ball or independent baseball and I, I saw the um the tryout dates and I'm like 
dang, that's that's pretty local. I'm gonna go. go I'm gonna go do that. Like that'd be awesome, you know. I grew up going to these games. It'd be really cool to actually play on the field. So, um, you just had to go in, kind of just like sign up. It was like fifty dollars or a hundred dollars for uh, amateur players and, and pro players. Um, we went in, had to wear the masks, uh, had you know like kind of COVID tests, and then we basically just got on the field. And uh, John introduced himself and was like. Um, basically, you know, we're just going to see what we have, you know, and you put together two really, really good ball clubs. Um, the tryouts were uh, relatively simple. It was, you know, go and basically show what you have, you know, go throw some bullpens, you know, let it fly a little bit, you know. When, when, when you were released from the Texas Rangers organization, um, like you said, that was in a whole, you know, slew of, of guys getting released because of the pandemic. What, from your vantage point, what, what was that whole process like? Was it expected that, that things were going to come that way, or was it a little unexpected, or how was the communication of everything during that? To me, I mean, to me it was a little unexpected, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's a business, and, you know, teams are not making money, so it doesn't make sense for them to be paying guys when they're not making money. You know, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's a business, and that's understandable, and it's not personable um, or personal. So, you know, I, I don't blame them. You know, it is what it is, and, I'm you know, I'm just happy to be playing again, to be honest with you, so. Um, you know, I'm just happy to be with, uh, you know, the Somerset Patriots and, you know, it's just weird to say that Patriots cause I grew up a Bills fan. I grew up oh. a Bills fan. So like saying go Patriots, like it's just weird. I'm the, I'm but, the same way, man. I mean, look, I, I grew up a Jets fan, so, so we're not really fans of each other's teams either, <laughs> but it was the, it felt the same way when I, when I started working for the Patriots in, in 2014, in the back of my mind, I was like, Ugh, do I really want to work for a team called the Patriots? You get <laughs> right? used to like, it, though. You get used to yeah. it. Yeah, it definitely is getting a little easier to say. It definitely <laughs> is. It took like a week or two, and I'm like, ah, you know what? I'm kind of getting used to this a little bit. You, you mentioned before, did you come to Somerset Patriots games growing up as a kid? Yeah, I went to a few um, between uh, Liquid Blue Claws and uh, Somerset Patriots. Those are pretty local for me, uh, about 20 minutes-ish. Uh, both ways so um you know going to big league games those are kind of expensive so being able to um you know go watch some independent baseball and, and some uh, minor league baseball both of those were you know really really good options growing up so it was definitely really cool to actually like be on the field as a as a player trying out for the team instead of watching it as a fan from the stands for for some of our fans that are listening to this interview um just so they're a little bit more familiar with sort of where you came from your roots in new jersey and and the process on how you got to the Patriots. Uh, you played your high school baseball. You attended Old Bridge High School. Um, had a lot of success there, especially as a senior. You went 4-0 with a 1.96 ERA. Uh, and then you were an 11th round draft pick out of Seton Hall University. Um, in 2018, you were an all Big East second team member with Seton Hall. Um, and then it got that 11th round draft pick uh, by the Texas Rangers. So what was playing? Because you mentioned how nice it's been lately to be pitching in front of family. Did that go into the thought process of attending Seton Hall University as well? Um, not not necessarily. It was more coaching staff and, and training staff and where I was going to thrive, um, I guess, per se. You know, going going to maybe a big-time university that, you know, that I didn't really, I feel like, have good, I don't know, um, like a relationship with or didn't feel comfortable with. Uh, Seton Hall, by far, one of the best facilities I've ever been to in the entire country um, in terms of locker rooms and weight rooms. You know, I've been to a few, like, big league ballparks, and I still feel like the weight rooms at Seton Hall and the facilities that they put together there hmm. are just top-notch, state-of-the-art. So I fell in love with, with, with Seton Hall, the training staff, the coaching staff, the pitching coaches. It was just by far, and, and and it just happened to be local. You know, it happened to be, you know, 45 minutes away from my house. So that worked out, um, you know, and it was just, it's almost like you, you can't write a better story. So now you're here in Somerset. You talked us through what that process was like when you tried out for the team, and now you are a Somerset Patriot. So from your vantage point, um, in terms of the competition level of the Somerset Professional Baseball Series, uh, we'll get into your specific numbers in a moment, but just – can you can you talk a little bit about the guys that are on your team that you're playing against and the blasters and the level of competition that we have going on here? 
Yeah, it's, it's honestly feels like I'm back at an affiliate. Uh, it's, it's great baseball. It's competitive. You know, guys are not just happy to be there. I mean, I'm sure they're happy to be there, <laughs> but like everyone's really competitive. It's, it's honestly professional baseball. It really is. Um, you know, no one's getting by, you know, no one's just kind of just rolling through this series. It's everyone here deserves to be here. You know, every, you know, we have guys who are throwing 96, 97, 98 miles an hour in this pro series. That's legit stuff. That's major league stuff. So mm-hmm. for people who are hearing about the pro series, and I don't know if they're taking it seriously or whatnot, no, no, no that there's some absolute dudes in this league. Um, <laughs> a couple of guys that I know that were with the Padres and me being with the Rangers were basically right down the road from one another. So during spring training, we play them a lot. And, uh, you know, it, it's like I'm facing these guys all over again. You know, yeah. they, they, they know what I'm doing. I know what they do. You know, it's really competitive. And, you know, it's almost annoying because they they just know they're good and they know what I have. So I almost <laughs> have to I almost have to try and find like you know other holes in their swing or you know pitch backwards or whatnot. And um, huh. you know, it's it's just it's really competitive. I like it, and um, a couple of the other guys can say the same thing in terms of like other guys that they've known uh, in affiliate ball, whether they played against them uh, throughout seasons or in spring training. So. Um, Definitely, I know one of the guys on our team is with the Mets um, right now, and the Mets let him play with us, considering that there's no uh, uh, baseball going on. You know, there, there are, there's actual guys who are in affiliate ball that are playing in the series right now. So it's not just a bunch of nobodies. Like, this is a really, really cool thing that the Patriots put together. Um, and, and that's kind of what also went into my decision, because if it was just, you know, baseball, I'm not sure a lot of guys would want to honestly compete in it, but it's it's ridiculously competitive, um, especially with the Blasters just being a new team and it's an even series right now. You know, there's there's a little bit of chirping going on now, so oh, now yeah. it's, you know it's starting to be it's starting to get a little more into it, and so it's being a lot more fun. You know, so awesome. I'm I'm excited for it. So that's great. I mean, look, you you mentioned that you know there's guys that have legitimate big time experience that are playing on both of these teams. I mean. Looking at the Patriots, just from a pitching perspective, of course, we have yourself, uh, Mark Leiter Jr., Major League Experience. Max Herman played most recently in 2019 um, yeah. in AAA. Uh, on the blaster side of thing, you have uh, Lee Brandt and Caselica, both with AAA Experience. Aiello, yep. Vargas with AA, Ryan Williamson, uh, Lepresti, yep. single A. I mean, you know, there's some arms on both of these there, teams. Yeah, there are dudes on each team. Like, they, <laughs> there are some really good arms. So I guess from how you approach the, the, the day-to-day being on these teams, of course, you know, this is an opportunity to play baseball. But I, I've gotten the sense, and, you know, I'm not with you guys, you know, every second, but I've gotten the sense that this is almost like a showcase in a bit. We've had a couple of scouts come to these games. Do, do you guys on the field view this as a showcase, as an opportunity to prove, you know, what you can still do despite the pandemic? Or, or do you get the sense a lot of people are – Really, just going out there like you know what? There's another guy on another team in a different uniform, and I just want to beat him. I think you can view it as both ways. I think some guys really believe that, including myself, that we we still want to play baseball for one of those 30 major league teams. So yeah, you can you can view this as a showcase, but at the same time, like I'm really competitive. I don't care what game you put me in. If you're not giving it 100, percent I'm not going to want to play with you. This is competitive. I like that. I want to win. You know, hmm. it's it's me versus the other guy in the box, and hmm. he's trying to get a job with an affiliate team, and you know, it, and if I don't do that job, then I may not get a job. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so you can view it both ways. Some guys are like, man, this is competitive. I want to play. Like, and then some other guys are viewing it as, yeah, I have to do well to show that I still got it. Um, so you, in whatever way you look at it, you know, um, I'm pretty sure you can split that kind of fifty-fifty throughout. Uh, all the individuals on each team. Is it difficult to be only playing two games a week? I, I mean, for, for somebody like yourself who has some starting experience um, and some relief experience, and you're sort of in that tweener role with the Patriots, you've obviously come out of the bullpen in each of your first two appearances. Um, but, you know, for relievers to only pitch once a week, that's not really par for the course. So has it been has it been tough on you? I wouldn't say it's been tough. Can, you know, guys who are at this point in their careers, should kind of know what they have to do to prepare themselves if they have to throw one inning a week. Um, mm. You know, there, there were, the, you know, that happened to me in affiliate ball. There would be times where I, I didn't throw for 13 days. You know, it was like, 
you just got to prepare and prepare and prepare and be ready for your opportunity to get on the bump. Um, you could say the same thing with position players. Like, guy, position players are used to playing every single day. Pitchers maybe every, you know, four or five days because you're in the rotation or a reliever, you're in there every three days. I, I can't imagine position players who are used to being in a competitive game-like environment five, six days out of the week and then have to, you know, transfer over to two, maybe one game a week. So um, guys who are this far in their career, I feel like um, everybody pretty much knows how to prepare themselves, and it's not too much of a, you know, like a drastic difference um, in terms of, Mm. you know, trying to be ready to play once a week. So going into this series, a lot of us had the impression that pitching was going to be significantly ahead of the hitting. Uh, And one of the reasons being what you just said is that, you know, these position players aren't getting a chance to play every day. And and for a lot of them, there are very little opportunities to see live pitching over the last couple of months during the pandemic. And, you know, from a pitching perspective, you don't necessarily need to see live hitters against you. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it helps. You could speak a lot more to that. I'm not a pitcher. But, you know, we've had the the sense that position players would be a little bit behind the pitchers in terms of where they're at. Uh, did you feel that way when this first started, when the practices first started? And do you think that that's changed at all over the first couple of weeks of the season? I think I can agree with that a little bit because, you know, I, as a pitcher, like if I want to get my work in, I can always go and throw to a net, a fence, a nine pocket, or another catcher. Hitters, if they want to get competitive work in, they got to find a pitcher that, you know, can throw this specific day that that guy, you know, can hit in, you know, on a field or inside a facility or, you know, so I can actually, I never really thought about it like that. So I guess, yeah, I can agree with that, that I guess hitters might have been a little bit behind, but um, being that you face the same, like, six arms, Every week, mm. I feel like hitters will start seeing and scouting, you know, not only their own teammates, but, like, us as well. And see, you know, okay, this guy's like a high velo guy. Or this guy likes to spin a lot of breaking balls. And I feel like that helps them catch up just a little bit. <laughs> um, you know, and we haven't had any shutouts. So, obviously, some offense is being, you know, being produced. So Well, not a lot of offense, honestly, has been produced against you, Billy. I mean, you've gotten off to a strong start so far in this series. You've made two appearances. Uh, both Friday nights, uh, the opening night and then this past Friday. Overall, you've tossed three and a third innings. You haven't allowed a run, uh, just one hit, two walks, and six strikeouts. Uh, so I guess my first question on that is just how has it felt on the mound? H- how are you feeling about everything so far? I've been real antsy ever since, <laughs> ever since spring training. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I, I thought I had a really good season last year. Um, had a terrific offseason. Uh, put on a lot of weight, got got a lot stronger. Um, I added another pitch to my repertoire, and I was just really pumped to go into spring training this year. I felt really good. I was throwing well, and then spring training got shut down. So that was a little disappointing. So being able to pitch again, I was ready to rock. I was ready to go. I was whoever wants me to pitch for them. I was ready to. I was ready to chuck the rock nine innings. So um, I, I've been prepared for months. So um, you know I. Having the success that I've had, it makes me feel good knowing that a lot of the work that's been put in is starting to pay off. So, Were the preparations any different for you sort of once the release came from the Rangers and we were in the midst of this pandemic? Or were they were you still able to keep them somewhat the same as they were during your offseason leading into spring training? I was in the gym the next morning There you go. after I got released. I got released around right after dinner time-ish, um, and I was in the gym the next morning. You know, um, have a few days to be upset about it, but it doesn't change the fact that, like, I've been playing baseball since I was five, and I'm not going to let, you know, one person tell me that, you know, I'm not good enough. So, you know, uh, that kind of actually fired me up a little bit. I was talking to my agent and the scout that actually drafted me with the Rangers, and both of them told me that, you know, sometimes this is actually kind of good for players' careers because they, whether they realize it or not, they may get a little complacent in terms of, work ethic and, 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 you know, how hard they're working. And I definitely saw myself, I wouldn't say I was getting complacent, but I was, I didn't feel like I was, I I was hungry. That mm. like that fire inside was still there. I don't know. When I got released, I, I kind of got pissed a little bit and, um, you know, I've been grinding and working and, um, you know, getting after it every single day. And I didn't think I was doing that, to be honest with you, um, after the first couple of years that I was in affiliate ball. So, 
I'm kind of finding the silver lining in this and, 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 you know, trying to view this as a blessing in disguise. And, um, you know, my, my work ethic definitely went up a level. So, you know, who knows? So you feel like you got that chip back on your shoulder now? Oh, yeah. I'm definitely pitching with an <laughs> attitude, pitching a little angry now. And, I, you know, my parents always told me that. Like, you pitch a lot better, you know, when you pitch with emotion and you're angry and, you know, I got that chip on your shoulder. So it's definitely <laughs> nice to have that back. In regards to pitching, you're working with a couple of new catchers now that you've never really worked with before. The first weekend, Jordan Jackson uh, caught both games for the Patriots. This past weekend, Matt O'Neill, who you mentioned earlier, is still a member of the New York Mets organization. Um, He caught Friday night, so he was behind home plate with you. Is it difficult from a pitching perspective to develop chemistry with your catcher, considering you guys haven't had a lot of opportunities to really practice together um, and everything else that's weird that's been going on in the world? I definitely think that it's a lot harder on the catchers, being that they have to keep track of so many Mm. different guys, and I have to stay on the same page with one. Okay. Um, And, well, now that Matt's back, because he had that that little hand injury that he had, so I know he was really happy to get back into the games um, this past weekend. Um, So me having to just keep track of two guys, it makes my job a lot easier. you know, so just uh, Jordan and Matt, you know, they got to keep track of guys that they've never met before. And, you know, a whole staff, a whole bullpen, they got to learn them. Um, I know Jordan and I um, weren't really on the same page uh, during our first outing together. Um, we uh, we ended up talking about a lot of stuff in the clubhouse, in the locker room, and, and that started to, you know, pick up a lot better, started to snowball. You know, we started to get on the same page, so I liked that. And then Matt came right in and, you know, it, we we meshed really well as well, so it's good to have two guys that are really receptive and know, okay, like this guy doesn't like that, and this guy doesn't like this, and he likes that. You know, it's hmm. really really nice to have two catchers that are just not only like good physically, but like they're intelligent, they know the game. So it definitely helps me out, get on the same page, and um, you know, and whatnot. So. Well, look, you wouldn't have been able to to know that you and Jordan weren't on the same page in that first outing. You went two uh, scoreless with one hit, no walks, and four strikeouts. So those are pretty good numbers for for an outing that you didn't feel like you were on the same page with your catcher. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I mean, we had a lot of uh, a lot of shaking off in between. I know I talked to um, to Brett Jody after the game, and he said that the pace had to pick up a little bit, and you know, getting on the same page is really important in terms of like flow of the game, stuff like that, and. Um, Brett being one of the like highly respected guys like in New Jersey, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to him. So by night on my next outing, I went out and I, I did exactly that. I wanted to be quick. I wanted to be efficient. I wanted you know I wanted to be on the same page, not shaking off, having my infielders and my outfielders sitting on their heels. Because um, mm. I'm I'm not a I'm not a power fastball guy, so I'm gonna be pitching the contact most of the time. So I want my field to be in the game with me. So anything mm. I can do to help them out. You know, I'm game. I'm all ears. So I definitely think that, you know, us communicating as much as we can, being that we don't have a lot of games to work with, I feel like communication is by far the biggest the biggest tool. Because if something's not working really fast, you you got to nip that on the butt quickly. Huh. You know, so if you're not liking something, you got to talk about that immediately. You don't have two weeks to try it out and be like, hey, listen, like, past two weeks, have more, no, 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 like, hey, we have, like, ten games to play. We need to be on the same page now. <laughs> yeah, so on that note, I mean, you know, Brett, obviously the manager of the Patriots, he's been the manager here for seven years. This was supposed to be the eighth until everything that happened happened. Uh, but in terms of what the clubhouse has been like for these guys, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but I guess in, in regards to Brett, has there been a sense of a lot of instruction um, from the coaches coming down to you guys, the players, on how to perform? Or, or is everyone still sort of feeling each other out? Are we still at that point where we're kind of letting everyone play and see how everyone does, and then maybe maybe further down the road there might be a little more instruction? Well, also being that Brett wasn't there for the tryouts, I think Brett's also trying to feel his own team out because mm. John, John is really the one who is basically, as you can quote-unquote, scouting everyone at the tryouts. Yeah. So I think John's still trying to feel out who he has as a team, and I think he's done a great job in terms of, like, if he sees something, he's going to tell you, you know, hey, you know, this is what I'm seeing, and, you know, I'm going to be really receptive to that. Like, he, I feel like he knows what he's talking about. He's been in the game for, you know, a while, you know, and 
anytime he really says anything, it's like he's just one of those guys that you stop what you're doing and you listen to what he has to say. So um, it's a pretty lax environment to, in the clubhouse, but everyone pretty much gets along really, really well. You know, we, we started having that, like, friendship, brotherhood-type environment really quickly. It's a fun place to go to. It's not like, oh, i got to go into, you know, baseball today. It's, no, no, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm pumped to go in there every day, so. So let's let's end kind of on this. Um, I got a chance to talk to Zach Rakusen last week. Um, you know, outfielder for the Blasters got off to a nice start to his series um, uh, the first Friday on the 17th. And one of the things that resonated from my conversation with him that he, that he mentioned was, you know, when we look back at 2020 and the odd year that it was and everything that went down a point of pride that he's going to have is that you know what there's only a handful of places around the entire country that are playing baseball and and we're one of them and not only that but we're the only game that's being played in the state of new jersey and i i know um that he takes a lot of pride in being a baseball player from new jersey with the rich history that we have in this state and i'm sure you do as well so big picture what are the emotions like? Do you have that same sense that, you know, these are weird times, but we're doing something that's pretty cool and pretty unique? How do you feel about the entire situation? Honestly, you look down the road in a few years from now, this I feel like this will be a conversation people talk about. Like, hey, remember when, the, you know, the whole COVID situation happened and, like, Somerset was the only team playing baseball and, like, it was actually ridiculously competitive baseball. It was really like <laughs> being being a part of something like this is something honestly that I'll probably tell my future kids. Like, like mm. yeah, this was awesome. Like, hey, you know, nobody was playing around the country, and then you know the Somerset Patriots decided to put together a uh, a pro series, and you know, it's just knowing that nobody else is really playing right now. Um, I I I think I actually did hear though that um. I think like the Sussex County Myers and a yeah. couple other teams started putting together some baseball. So um happy for them too, but um Somerset was first, just got to say that. <laughs> um, so, um yeah, no, it's I have to hop on that train as well. You know, it's really, really, really cool to be a part of something like this, definitely. Well, Billy, thank, thanks so much for take, taking some time today. Um, it's been fun watching you play. It sounds like you've been having a good time doing it as well, so – uh, thanks again, and uh, and best of luck in this upcoming weekend's game. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mark. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Princeton, located on Route 206, an all-new state-of-the-art sales and service facility that will redefine your luxury car experience. See all they have to offer, along with all the processes to assure a healthy environment at jlrprinceton.com. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by NJM. At NJM, we understand the hardships you might be going through right now. That's why we're offering payment relief. We'll continue providing you protection no matter what tomorrow brings. Because dealing with uncertainties is our business. This isn't just insurance. It's NJM. The Something Patriots podcast is presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. If you've put off any medical care due to COVID-19, please don't delay it any longer. RWJ Barnabas Health has taken every precaution and continues to provide health care services in adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. This includes stringent cleaning and disinfection throughout all facilities and screening everyone for symptoms and temperature upon entry. Learn more at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by Flemington Car and Truck Country. After the latest executive order, Flemington Car and Truck Country is open to sell cars in their showrooms by appointment. Choose from over 16 manufacturer brands, plus over 500 available certified pre-owned vehicles with unprecedented discounted pricing and available financing for qualified buyers as low as 0%. Flemington Car and Truck Country, with eight locations on routes 202 and 31, is following all CDC guidelines in their showrooms and on delivery to protect and assure both customers and associates. Start your search and make your appointment at Flemington.com.
Welcome back to the Something Patriots podcast. A big thank you to Billy Lane Jr. who joined for today's episode. Uh, but that's it for this week. A quick outro. Uh, be sure to tune in for the live broadcast of both the Patriots versus Blasters games this weekend on the Voice of Central Jersey 1450 WCTC or on YouTube.com slash Somerset Patriots. Enjoy the games, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Something Patriots podcast. The Somerset Patriots would like to thank the presenting sponsor of the podcast, RWJ Barnabas Health. They would also like to thank the supporting sponsors, TD Bank and Flemington Car and Truck Country, with proud sponsorship from T-Mobile, NJM Insurance, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, and NJIT. Other thanks go to Flemington Department Store, AARP New Jersey, Sanofi, and Financial Resources Federal Credit Union, all valued partners of the Somerset Patriots. The Something Patriots podcast airs live on the Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC, and on WCTCAM.com every Thursday night from 6 to 7 p.m., with the archived versions also available for download on SomersetPatriots.com and on participating podcast platforms. The show is written, hosted, and edited by me, Mark Schwartz. It is produced by Jack Myatt, Ginny Ott, and the entire team at 1450 WCTC.